definitely appreciate the opportunity to be to be able to preach this evening as a pastor and his family are away. No, they're, I think it's been a while since they've actually been able to go with the whole family, so hopefully they have a nice, relaxing time. I know it's going to be a quick trip for them, but hopefully, um, I know we'll all be praying for them as they have a safe trip. Now, this evening, um, just so you know, I'm going to be preaching out of Haggai. I'm going to tell you now that we have time to turn there, because it's a small little tiny book that sometimes can be very hard to find. So, I'll give you um, ample time to find that. Um, it's going to be in the book of Haggai. We're going to be reading 11 verses out of that uh, first chapter this morning or this evening. Now, it's only a two-chapter book. I mean, it's, it's like a short little book right toward the end of your Old Testament there. Um, and so we'll be reading there here in just a moment. Now, for introduction, I wanted to tell you a quick story that I was uh, reading about that I, I found very fascinating. I was reading a story about Al, or Albert Einstein. Now, most of you know who Einstein is. He's considered one of the most intelligent people in history. I'm going to move that out of the way. I don't need that. All right, so he's one of the most intelligent people in, in all of history. Um, and there's a story of a time when he was taking a trip by train. Um, he, was taking, he was just going on a trip to go speak or do something at a conference. Um, and he was going over his notes. And the conductor came through the car and was asking for the tickets and punching the tickets um, as they were going through the train. And he comes to, to Albert Einstein, and Albert Einstein starts fishing for his ticket and can't find it, starts looking at his jacket pocket, his, his, back, you know, his bag, his briefcase, and just started trying to find it. And he couldn't find his ticket. But the, the conductor recognized him because at that point he had some notoriety. And he's like, don't, don't worry about it, Mr. Einstein. I, I know who you are. I, I know you bought the ticket. Don't worry about it. And so then he just keeps going down the line to the next people in the car, and as he goes back, he, he looks, as he got through the rest of the car, he looks back, and Einstein is still frazzled, looking for his ticket. And he, the, the conductor comes up again and, and reiterates to, to um, Albert Einstein, I, I know who you are, you don't need to worry about finding your ticket. And Albert Einstein's response is, I know that you know who I am, I just don't know where I'm going. So... Albert Einstein had gotten so focused on his studying and where he was going, from the time he boarded the train, he was so focused on, on his notes that he completely lost track of where he was really going. So he didn't know what stop he was going to have to take. He didn't know any of that. Now, this evening, now I know many of you may not necessarily be in this boat, but I, I, this, morning, or this evening we're going to be looking at a passage uh, of believers but I think oftentimes in the Christian life, sometimes we get going through life and it seems like we forget where we're going as we go through the Christian life. We just, we get so wrapped up in what's going on in our everyday lives, but everything that's going on, that sometimes I fear that we forget where we're going. We forget what our ultimate destination is. And sometimes in the course of forgetting what our ultimate destination is, we really forget what we're supposed to be doing day by day to get to that ultimate destination. And so, in every one of our lives, we have a general understanding of God's will for our lives, but the day-to-day -day things that we forget that lead us to that point, we can kind of get so wrapped up in everything else, we forget where we're going. And this evening, we're going to be reading a, a, a story or an account of some individuals who had kind of gotten to that place. There were, there were individuals who were following God, and they seemed to get to a place where it, 
if you were to look at their lives, you'd almost say they kind of forgot where they were going. And in this passage, we're going to learn a couple of things. One, how to recognize maybe some, some signs in our own lives that will indicate that we've forgotten our direction or we've kind of gotten off track in small areas. Um, and then also what to do to fix that. So it, it's, God kind of shows us in, in the passage here in Haggai, we're going to read a story of how God reveals this to the children of Israel and how they are instructed to correct that problem. Now, if you would, um, we're going to start reading in Haggai chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses um, of, this, of this passage. Now, it says here, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people... This people say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus, now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give me clarity of mind and, and focus this evening. And I pray, Lord, that uh, the message of your word would be clear this evening, that you would challenge each and every one of us um, to consider our ways and, and to focus on you um, more intentionally, Lord. We ask, Lord, these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, when we get to this passage in Haggai, it, it's, you, you're actually kind of coming in right in the middle of, of a larger event. You know, like, it, Haggai didn't come along. It, it is in the, the second year of Darius. So Darius, or Darius, Darius, he's the king right now. It's the second year of his reign. But the whole situation that's going on with the children of Israel is something that started about 16 years before. So, like, the events that happen, it's kind of a culmination, right here in this, this passage, it's a culmination of things that have happened over the last 16 years. Now, if you were to go back to kind of figure out how the children of Israel got to the situation, you can see that if you go to Ezra. Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses here from Ezra so you kind of know or understand the context that we're talking about here. Now, in, in Ezra, many of you are familiar with the story or with, with the, the, the events surrounding Ezra and Nehemiah. But what, essentially what happens is you have the children had been carried away captive and during the time of Ezra and during Nehemiah, there was a, a group of them brought back to rebuild the land of Israel, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the houses, to rebuild the cities. 
And so they were coming back. And in Ezra, you have him um, working under Cyrus. And so Cyrus is the king at that time. And Cyrus, he examines it and he, he comes to this conclusion. And this is what happens in Ezra chapter 1. And it says, Now in the first year Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel, which is in Jerusalem. So Cyrus gives his proclamation to go back to the children of Israel, for them to go back to Israel and to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so a remnant of the, Isra- of the Israelites get together and they go up with Ezra as one of the leaders and they go up to start rebuilding the house of the Lord. Now, Cyrus isn't king for very much longer. And two years later, after the people go up, there's some other events that go on and they get the, they get the altar rebuilt. But before they can start getting all the completed work of the temple done and everything else rebuilt, Artaxerxes comes along And he gets reports from other people who don't want to see Israel rebuilt. He gets a report from them that they're planning a coup or they're trying to overthrow his leadership. And Artaxerxes, when he's there, and this happens in chapter 4 of Ezra, it says, Then sent the king an answer unto Rehum, the chancellor, and to Shimshai, the scribe, and to the rest of of the companions that dwelt in Samaria, and unto the rest beyond the river, peace, and at such a time... The letter which he sent unto us hath been plainly read before me, and I commanded, and search hath been found, and it is found that the city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made there. therein. There have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll and tribute custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, and that this city be not builded, until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the kings? So Artaxerxes halts the work that's going on in Jerusalem. And the children of Israel are commanded to stop work. They can't work on, on the house of God anymore. And the, the main reason being that previously, in, in previous generations, the kings of Israel have been so great that the whole world paid tribute to them. And Artaxerxes is that they, they tell him to look back to history. And so these, these guys that want to stop the work of the, of the rebuilding of the house, house of Israel, they tell Artaxerxes, hey, just look at the history books. If you look back throughout history, you'll see that when this nation of Israel, when, they're at the, when they are at their prime and when they grow and when, they get, when they're allowed to, to prosper on their own, they overtake the world. You can't let that happen. If, if you allow them to build this city, they'll grow in strength and they'll, they'll focus on their God again. And they'll become so powerful that you will lose your, your reign. And, and Artaxerxes looks back through history and says, you're right. The, this children of Israel are a, a powerful people. And the God they serve, he, do, he doesn't recognize that, but he doesn't understand it necessarily. But the God they serve makes them a great people. And if he does allow their house and the nation to be rebuilded, that they're going to overtake the land. And he may lose his great power and the, the power of the Persians. And so the work is, is commanded to stop. And there's no work done. Now, that 
was 14 years before Haggai makes his prophecy. So, for two years, the children of Israel leave and they go back from, from Babylon, they go back to the land of Israel and they start rebuilding and they're commanded to stop the work on the house. But they're still in the land of Israel. So, from the time the work ended to the time in Haggai's prophecy, 14 years had passed. Now, in that 14 years, the children of Israel didn't just sit around doing nothing. What ended up happening was they started building their own homes. They started taking all the, the effort that was going to be put into the construction of the temple was focused into their own houses and into their own properties and into their own walls and into the, the infrastructure of the city. But they, they kind of let the, the house of the Lord lay waste. And they didn't focus on that one. They didn't fight that. They didn't, they didn't fight back against Artaxerxes. They didn't challenge him in his rule. They didn't say, no, 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 Darius sent us and said we could do that. No, and Cyrus sent us to do this. We, we have the command of the king. We're not trying to overthrow you. We're just following the instructions that we were given from Cyrus. They didn't, they didn't challenge it. But what they did is they, they went to work on their own houses. And they started building their houses. And at first... God seemed to be blessing that. And as you read this passage, you kind of see the idea that it says here, it says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people, the time has not come, the people say, The time has not come that the house, that the Lord's house should be built. And then the, the Lord asks a question of the children of Israel by Haggai in verse 4 of chapter 1. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie in waste? Now, sealed houses kind of had the idea of, like, you know, vaulted ceilings, but, like, also the idea of just, of, you know, great ornamentation, a great, a great specimen, a, like a beautiful home, and they were dwelling in them. Now, the idea isn't that they built them, but they, they're dwelling in the, these homes. So they built these homes, and they were dwelling in them, and they were kind of enjoying the fruits of their labor from building the homes, but at that time, they didn't start then looking for ways to rebuild the house of God. They were trying to take all that, the blessing that God had given them to be able to go back and build the house, to build up the house of the Lord. They were taking all that blessing and funneling it into their own homes to build up their own comfort and their own pleasure. And they were, they weren't necessarily sinning. They weren't doing anything wicked. They weren't offering things to idols. They weren't out living in gross negligent sin or doing anything, you know, in, in debauchery. They were simply kind of neglecting God's house. They built up their houses, they would get funds, and they'd get, they'd get resources, and they'd pour it all into their houses. But then, something starts happening here. And it, Haggai, as he comes to the children of Israel, he kind of focuses in on maybe a frustration they were all, all were feeling. And he says this, "...ye have so much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but you have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink." Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in, into a bag with holes. And then, in verse 9, it says, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the dew of heaven over you is stayed, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. So, what happens is, the children of Israel, they start feeling this frustration. They, they start spending more time focusing on their house, and it seems like things are getting worn out. It seems like the kids are just never 
never filled up. They're always hungry. They, they're never satisfied. They always want something to drink, and they get something to drink, but they're never, they're never, they never quench their thirst. They, they, get, they get cold, and they have all these clothes, but maybe they're threadbare, and, and, and it's like they just can't get warm, and it's like they start to fire, but it, it's just like it doesn't heat the house. And it just seems like no matter what they do, it just never is enough to satisfy what they need. And so it's like, and, and as they look at that, they're, they're frustrated, and their frustration is growing. And this is probably felt around the whole congregation of Israel. And they just feel this emptiness and this void. And then what they do is, the thing that is lacking, they pursue it even more and find that it is even more lacking than it was before. And they pursue it even more and find the same frustration. So they pursue it some more to get the same frustration. And they're in this endless cycle where they can never get enough. It's never enough. They, they, they try to plant more corn and the crops come in smaller. They, they plant more corn and the, sm- the crop is smaller again. So they think, well, no, I, I need to plant more corn and the crop is smaller and they gather it in, and it's like the crop is smaller, and it's like it seems like what they gathered in, it's like it's gone in no time. And it's like they, they have their bag full of money, and it, it's like they, there was a pocket there. It was like, I thought I had more money in my account. I, what's going on? It's like I, I could have sworn I had more money in my account. My bank account seems so low. I just have no money. And it's just like they felt like they were spinning their proverbial wheels, and they weren't getting anywhere. And... And as Haggai comes along to the children of Israel, he, he exhorts them with his challenge. He says, consider your ways. Con, you know, consider the direction that you're going. And, and the children of Israel at this time, you know, again, it's been 14 years since the work had stopped. And so for 14 years they were doing this. And I would, I would wager to say that probably for maybe five, six, seven years, they were feeling great blessing from God. And he was allowing their funds to grow because... At that time, you know, they were under command to stop growing, you know, to stop building. So they were obedient to their protection, but it, it was like they started getting that, acquiring all those things to build. But then they're like, hey, I have all these resources. Let's go work on my house. And, you know, they may have had the storehouses ready to start building the house of God. But it was like somewhere along the way, they kind of lost focus and lost track of what was going on. And... And here, the exhortation that's repeated multiple times is, consider your ways. Now, Haggai, as he comes in, the, the message from the Lord is, consider your ways. Now, the, it, the consider your ways is very, somewhat simple, and it's almost obvious what it means. It means, really, to think hard or ponder or to take to heart and consider, like meditate upon the direction you're going. And the way, it's simply the ways, the way you're going. The direction you're taking. You know, take time to consider the direction you're going and evaluate that one. Now, along that line, it's not simply a matter of saying, hey, I want you to think about what you're doing for a little bit and then go about doing it again. Just continue doing what you're doing. I want you to consider your ways and make an adjustment in what you're doing. So the idea isn't just, oh, hey, think about what you're doing. Now, how many of you, when you were kids, had your parents send you to your room? I want you to think about what you did. Now, do you think your parents sent you to your room so you could just think about what you did? 
Like, was, was their whole focus, I want you just to think about what you did. No, they want you to think about what you did and not do it again. They want you to think about what you did so you can realize what the problem is so you can fix it. So, when God says, consider your ways, he's not saying, hey, I want you just to think about this for a little bit. He's really, what he's doing, he, he's sending them to their room and saying, I want you to think about what you did. And so, this is with the same light of what you would do if you were to send your kids to your room to think about what they did. Now, the best illustration that I can think about this, and this is a little weird, but I want you to think about this. Uh, we're going to kind of sidestep for just a second here to get kind of a picture of what this is like. But how many of you have gone bowling at one point in your life or another? How many of you have gone bowling at some point in your life? Okay. If you haven't gone bowling, you should go bowling just so you can understand what I'm talking about. Now, when you go to bowling, now, is your main objective to throw a ball in the gutter? No. Is your main objective just to kind of like hit one pin? Your main objective is to hit all of the pins and to knock them down. The goal is to try to get a strike. You want to knock down every pin. Now, most people, especially if you're a novice bowler or if you've never learned about bowling, you're going to take the bowling ball and you're going to just kind of look at the pins and throw toward the pins. Now, how many of you have actually learned how to bowl properly? Like, proper bowling. All right. Some of you are, like, embarrassed about that. You're like, oh, there's my hand. <laughs> All right. So when it comes to, like, proper bowling, now, if you know in bowling, the, the objective is to knock down the pins, but you're not supposed to look at the pins. You're never supposed to look at the pins. Now, most people get frustrated, and they try harder and harder and harder, and what happens is they start focusing more and more on the pins, and they get worse and worse and worse. And they get frustrated. Now, how many of you who've never learned to properly bowl have seen those little arrows in the floor, in the bowling alley? You know those little dots in front of the bowling alley, you know, before the, the lane? See the dots there? And then you see the little arrows in the middle of the, path, you know, in the, middle of the lane? See, what, what happens is, you're actually supposed to, as you go bowling, you're supposed to adjust your weight... Sorry, <laughs> sorry. this is hard for Carolina. All right, so as you go bowling, when you, when you bowl, the whole idea is you aim for the arrows that are right in front of you. And you have to start in different dots, and based on the weight at that time and the weight of the ball you're using and everything else, and like the, the length of your stride, you're supposed to start at different dots and you're supposed to walk toward an arrow and aim the ball at an arrow. And whichever way the ball goes, you're supposed to adjust which arrow you aim at. And if it's off one direction, you need to go over one more pin or one more arrow. If you hit one pin that's a little far off the center, you need to adjust which arrow you aim at. And what happens is, if you adjust to the proper arrow, you never look at the pin and you're supposed to focus on the arrow. And as you get used to bowling, you never look at the pins anymore. You aim for the arrows. And as the ball is released, you know which arrow you aim for and you see where it hits. You know exactly, as you get more experience, you know exactly what correction you need to make 
to fix where you hit the pin. Now, what happens is, with, with people who go bowling, if they never learn how to do bowling, they're always frustrated because it's like, oh, I, I hit it this time, or I didn't get it this time. And then when you learn how to actually bowl right, then you get frustrated because you're not adjusting right, and you're trying to get it, you know, trying to get it down. And it's like, you, you know, you, you get irritated when somebody says, just use a different ball. It's like, no, I'm not used to that weight. I have to, you know, I have to focus on this. But what happens is when you bowl, when you adjust based on the, the problem and the direction and how you bowl, you need to, what you're doing is considering your ways. You see, what happens is we get so focused on out here and the things that are way out in front that we miss the small things right in front of us that are so obvious, and those are the things that are going to correct the errors and everything. You see, the children of Israel, at the time of Haggai, they didn't leave from Babylon and go back to Israel with the intention that in 16 years they'd be sitting comfortably in their homes and the house of God would lie in waste. They did not leave with that intention. They left Babylon with the intention of going back to Israel to rebuild the temple. They had the right focus when they left. But what happened was, along the way, they allowed their way to get off course. And the problem wasn't that they had horrible intentions or that they started living in gross sin. It was simply the fact that along the way, they had gotten so far out here and, and serving God had gotten so far into the future that it, it just never happened in their everyday life. And so when Haggai was giving these instructions from the Lord of consider your ways, it wasn't because what they were doing was horribly wrong. It was because serving God was such a distant idea that it had gotten away from their everyday lives. And the course correction that he was giving them was to readjust their lives for a more immediate future focus on what God had for them in their everyday lives. You see, because every one of us can simply get caught up in the busyness of life very easily. We can be just like the children of Israel here. We get so caught up in everything that's going on in our everyday lives, and we can still have the mentality of serving God. We don't have to get in to horrible, wicked lifestyle. We can simply get comfortable where we are. We're in, we're in the realm of serving God. We're in His land. We're there. We're following the commandments. We're just not really serving Him. And we get so wrapped up in everything. And we have this vague idea, well, no, I'm serving God. I, I have these plans. They're somewhat distant, but I'm, I'm serving God. And they can get so vague that our day-to-day lives aren't focused on Him. And what happens is, because we allow our everyday lives and our day-to-day conduct to not really be so focused on God, that 14 years later, we're a lot farther than where we expected to be. And it's just like bowling. You have that vague idea so far out in front of you, and as you bowl, and you take life in context of that, and so often you're just like looking way out there, and you're just kind of throwing it, throwing it out there. But because you're not focusing on the proper thing right in front of you, it's way off course. And you're, you're going to be getting all these gutter balls. And it's just like these children of Israel. It's like you're building, and it's going to waste. 
you're, you're hungry and you're eating, but you're not full. You're thirsty and you're drinking all these things, but you're not satisfied. You're still parched when it's done. You're going out here and you're planting and you're planting seed and the crops aren't coming in. You're doing all these things and you're frustrated. And sometimes, at, the point, at this point here, the children of Israel hadn't gotten to the point where they were like, God, why are you frustrating us? But when Haggai came in, they, he, he was challenging them. Now, this is the thing that's very interesting here. Now, remember, why did they stop the work to begin with? Because they were commanded by Artaxerxes. And if they disobeyed Artaxerxes, they could face the consequences of disobeying the current world leader. And they could easily have been killed or wiped out by the armies of Artaxerxes. Because really, they hadn't built up the walls. They didn't have the protection yet. But this is the, the one thing I love about Haggai, and this is in verse 12 here. It says this, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, read this next word, obeyed the voice of, their, of the Lord their God, and the words of, of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Read that word again. All the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Now, this isn't something you read very often when it comes to the prophets of Israel and the prophets of Judah, that the children of Israel obeyed the voice of the Lord. I think that's probably one of the reasons why Haggai is such a short book, because the prophet came in, gave them the word of the Lord, and they obeyed. It was so simple. It was like, hey, you're frustrated. Consider your ways. And remember, like I said, it's not, oh, go to your room and think about what you did. It's go to your room and think about what you did. Then they're going to their room and they're thinking about what they did. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, we have been focusing on our houses. And this is a simple instruction they get in verse 7, 8, and 9. It says this, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is lied, that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. So, God said, hey, I want you to go up to the mountain, cut down wood, bring it down, build the house. So, that's what they did. They went up to the mountains, they cut down wood, and brought it down. Now, remember... The reason they stopped originally was because Artaxerxes commanded them. Now, this story took place during the second year of King Darius. Now, if you go back, and you don't have to turn there, but in Ezra, in chapter 6, this is what happens. So, the children of Israel, they were told by Cyrus to go build. Two years later, Artaxerxes said, stop building. Fourteen years now... Darius is in his second year of reigning as king, and this is what happens. It says, Then Darius, Darius the king, made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls, where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha, in the place that is in the province of the Medes, a roll. And therein was a record thus written, In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, the house where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid. 
the height thereof three score cubits, and the breadth thereof three score cubits. And let's see. Now, and it says in verse 6, Now therefore, Tatnai, governor beyond the river, Shethar Boznai, and your companions, the uh, uh, Farsakites, which are beyond the river, be far from thence. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews <coughs> and the elders of the Jews build the house of God in his place. So, what you have happening is, the children of Israel obey God. And they go back to work on this. And those same people who had a problem that went and whined to Artaxerxes to get them to stop, come back to Darius and were like, hey, they're building back there again. And the children of Israel, they remind him and say, well, we're not building out of rebellion. We're building according to the commandment of Cyrus. And Darius, he goes back to look at the record and realizes that, hey, they were right. They were actually following the, the commandment of King Cyrus, which, according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, they can't, he can't overrule that. He can't say they can't, he can't go against a previous commandment of another king. And so he tells the people who were trying to stop the work of God, knock it off, leave them alone, let them build the house of their God. And so the children of Israel actually receive a blessing, and even though what they, would have, what they were doing could have been considered a rebellion and a sign of resisting the word of the king and a rebellious against him, they were protected, and the king said, hey, leave them alone. They're doing what they're, doing what they were supposed to do. They're building a house for their God so they can sacrifice. And the children of Israel, upon obeying the word of the Lord, saw great blessing in their lives. And all those things that were frustrating them before, they, they started, the, the work of their hand started being blessed again of the Lord. And God said he took pleasure in that, and he took pleasure in the children of Israel obeying him and building his house. Now, for many of us, one, you're here on a, on a, on a Sunday night. So, one, like you're, not, you're not necessarily neglecting the house of the Lord. But, I think sometimes, even in my own life, sometimes we can get so caught up in everyday life, and because of, and I'm, I'm going to use this, you know, loosely, but we can simply be attending service, and we can simply be a part of the things that are going on without actually having a heart or a mind for it. We have this vague idea of kind of serving God, but we don't have intention behind it. We're not purposefully seeking him from day after from day to day we're simply allowing life to happen and we're trying to just kind of stay in the general vicinity of what's going on with god but we're really not focused every day and it's and i'll take it back to that kind of that game the idea of bowling with bowling we're all in the same game we're we're all here we're all participating in this bowling game now, what happens is, so many of us, we're just kind of here ho-hum, throwing the ball down the lane. We're here. Eh, eh, eh. We don't really have focus on it. And what happens is, we just kind of have this vague idea of what's going on. We're, in, we're just kind of in what's going on here, but we're not focused every day. We're not really 
intentionally, we're not like focused on winning. We're not, we're not focused on achieving all that God has for us in our lives. And so when, when we look at this passage, the exhortation is to consider your ways and, and look at really what you're doing every day. And when it comes to this game or the life, game of life or, you know, this Christian life that's going on, be intentional about it. Actually consider your ways. Evaluate yourself to see, are you actually focused on doing and serving God every day? Or is it just kind of like a vague idea? You're kind of ho-humming your way through life. And if you happen to really do something great for God, great, but you're really not really that concerned. You know, you're, you're focused on building up everything on your own. And again, in this passage, God does not condemn the building up of their houses. He doesn't condemn them taking care of their families. He doesn't condemn them building that. That was a part of what his plan was. But his idea was that they were focused on building the house of the Lord and their homes together. And in conjunction, the land of Israel would be blessed and see prosperity. And both the house of the Lord and their individual homes would grow in strength. And they would both proclaim God's glory. God isn't saying neglect your family, neglect neglect all your responsibilities in life to focus on the house of God and focus on church. He's saying focus on both. Have an intentional purpose in your life and you will actually see success in both. Now, people here, we're not, when you go bowling, you don't sit there and just try to throw it into the gutter. You're not sitting there like intentionally losing. It happens because you don't pay attention to what you're doing in your everyday lives. So, I actually, it was a very interesting um, concept, but I actually, there, there was a story that was talk, spoken about this guy who was like a, an exceptional bowler, and he understood that same concept as far as like the arrows and everything. And some people said, no, it, it has nothing to do with the arrows. You, you're, you're lying. And so this guy actually had a drop cloth put in front of of the, of the bowling alley. So one, there were one day he went bowling and he put down like a curtain in front of the alley or in front of the lane. And at the, the lane, he had the curtain put down right in front of or just on the other side of the arrows. And he left enough space just for the ball to go under. And he was saying, I can bowl a strike every time. And so this guy, he had this curtain brought him so you couldn't see the pins. And everybody was watching from the other side. And he would bowl and strike after strike after strike. Because he understood the concept of focusing on the things right in front of him that he knew he was supposed to do. And like the children of Israel here. Again, it wasn't that they got caught up in doing something wicked or immoral. It was simply that they got distracted from their primary focus of building the house of the Lord. And for us, when we consider our ways, it's not like God is saying, oh, well, everything that you're doing is a waste of time. No, he's simply saying and challenging every one of us, myself included, to say, you know what? Your everyday life and your everyday focus and your everyday walk with God is very important. And the children of Israel even here, you know, they, they, were, they were following the, the um, requirements of like the feast. They were observing the Passover. They were being obedient to the small things, and they were obeying the law. They were obedient to all that. They had just gotten their focus off just a little bit. And I, the challenge for you would be this evening. If there's any area where there's some things in your life where you're like, you know what, something just isn't satisfying me. 
I, I have a little bit of a hunger for something, but it's just not really satisfying me. I'm not, I'm not fulfilled in some area. I could challenge you that maybe that's really God saying, hey, you know what? You're not sinning. You're not doing something wicked. But I'm just not allowing you to be happy or pleased in that small area so you can get that focus back on me. Now, this right here, this whole passage right here, it can be summed up in one verse in Matthew. Matthew 6.33. And many of you can probably quote that. If you go to Matthew... We'll get there here. In Matthew 6... 33 says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That, that's, the whole, that's the whole point that he was driving at there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, God does desire to have for you to be satisfied and to not be hungry and to not be starving. He wants you to be clothed. He wants you to have a home. He wants you to have all those things. But your comfort and your, you know, lavish lifestyle isn't his primary focus. His focus is, one, his glory, his kingdom, and his righteousness. And the thing is, that so many people tend to forget is, if you focus on that... God's going to take care of all that other stuff. But if you run around your whole life trying to take care of all those small little things and put out all those little fires and focus on all those little tiny things, you're never going to want... One, you're never going to accomplish God's true purpose for your life and you're never going to get satisfied in those things. Because you, you, as people, we kind of have one-track minds. One focus is enough. I'm not a good multitasker. I, I hate multitasking, and I don't think really anybody is a good multitasker. Um, I think the simple truth is, and most of you would probably agree with this, multitasking is simply doing more than one thing bad or poorly. And we need to focus on one thing. In the Bible, we need to focus on God. And if we seek after God primarily... He's going to take care of, those, of all those other things. And he's going to give us time to handle and take care of all of the other priorities that he gives us in due time. And so the challenge for you this evening would be just to consider your ways. Consider the small little things you do from day to day. Now, you know, pastor you know, brings it up often, you know, the Bible reading schedule and everything else. And it is a challenge to keep up on those different Bible reading schedules and to make sure you're taking that time. It is a challenge because there's so many things that bombard us every day. They can get us distracted and get us focused on other things. And it's those small little things that are so important and seeking after God in those small everyday things. And, it's, we, and when we say small everyday things, you're like, man, that really is a big thing. And it is. It's a big thing, but it's a small thing. And so sometimes we, we get so wrapped up in all these other small things, that the big thing loses focus. And many of you out there, I guarantee you if, you, if you were to look at your life as if it were a bowling game, you don't have this intention of throwing a gutter ball. Who wants to throw a gutter ball? Like, who wants their life to end up, when it's all said and done, my life is a gutter ball? Like, who wants that to be 
like the, the, the sentiment of their life. How much, how much better would it be, or how much more, you know, pleasing to God would it be if you could say, man, like, I bowled like a 300. My life was a 300. I, I yeah, I'm not going to bowl a perfect game, but like, like, at least break a 100, right? You know, like, I don't want to come to the end of life and say, man, that was like a gutter ball. Like, I, I was miserable. I, I didn't have pleasure in God. I didn't bring anybody to Him. I didn't bring glory to His name. Nobody, nobody looked at my life, and as a, result, as a result of my life, magnified God and thought God was great. I, I, don't, I don't want to come to the end of life and have it be said that, oh, well, it was kind of like a gutter ball. It was a waste of a life. It was, it was pointless. I, I, I would trust that many of you have the same sentiment that, hey, you know what? When it comes to the end of this life, I want people to look at my life and, one, look to God and realize how great He is. And, and be lifted up within, within my life. And so this evening, I would challenge you, each and every one of you, to consider your ways. We can go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes. We can have a, a brief song of invitation here. I don't think I went too long on the sermon there. It was kind of short. Um, but we can go bow, bow our heads, close our eyes. And this evening, I'll just ask you to, to pray and think. And, and really, the whole idea here is to meditate there in your seat. And, and think about this. You know, consider your ways. Take the time to think about your life. Think about the direction of everything. Think about your day-to-day activity and conduct and, and, and just things going on in your life. And just consider, is my life really intentionally focused on God? Or am I kind of just going through the motions, kind of just going through life as it happens, and whatever will be, will be. Or are you focusing on allowing God to work in your life on a day-to-day basis? Spire heads, close our eyes. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this message, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. I pray, Lord, that um, it would be an encouragement to everyone here. And, and pray, Lord, that um, you would work in my life continually as well, just to, to focus more on just the things that I do every day and to make sure that, you know, when it's done, I can, I can look and I can know that it was pleasing to you, Lord. I pray that you would be with everyone here and allow each and every one of us to, to examine ourselves and just to see if we are uh, focused on you and, and make sure that we um, correct even the small things that may be out of order. Uh, we ask these things this evening in Christ's name.